A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Welcome to the Pull Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable resources and tools to grind your way to ultimate fantasy baseball success. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. Catch me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter. My special guest today is NFBC Hall of Famer John Posma. John, three times on the pod now, you're 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 inching up into that territory <laughs> of like most most on the pod, but it's always a pleasure to have you, my friend. What's going on? Hey, Rob, good to be with you again. Uh, and really, this is my third time on this pod, and that's maybe my fourth pod overall. So you're, you're hitting Boom. 75%. <laughs> that's that's why people come here, right, John? I listen to all the uh, all the fantastic advice that, I mean, you know, I had Bodie John on the pod, and he was just so, like, I had so many people reach out, and it was amazed at how much, like, he actually talked about, you know, to into his into a strategy and I just think it's awesome to learn from players like you guys you know about how to play the game and how to be good at fantasy baseball because it's not easy you know and we put in a lot of work to be at least halfway good right <laughs> yeah no that was a great interview with uh Mr. Johnson uh I enjoyed that a lot and getting inside of his get inside of his head a little bit regarding uh his prep and uh even his draft day stuff like uh uh, all the sheets of paper and the information is uh, really interesting. It's really fascinating. It like blew my mind when I saw it in action and just saw how mu how fast his brain was working. You know, I guess that's what I was yeah. thinking about yeah. the most because I guess it's just like <laughs> when you're flipping through tabs. That's one thing I have to do this year too at the draft room. I gotta I gotta not have that many tabs open and like just because <laughs> right. I was clicking around too much and just trust what I've done yeah. so far and don't look any further. Um, but yeah, he, he really just, his mind must be so on point too. I can imagine the connections he's making with things with, you know, with pen and paper. I think yeah. everything I've written down in my life, maybe even five days ago, I still remember, <laughs> but like if I type something, I can't, you know, I don't remember right. what I typed. Uh, that's always interesting. So tell me about your induction into the NFBC Hall of Fame. Um, how how did it feel, you know? Oh, man, what an experience that was. Uh, really just honored uh, and humbled to be part of that group. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a very nerve wracking uh, experience. Like I'm not a great public speaker and uh, not really my gig. But uh, yeah, it was so fun. Um, I enjoyed it, enjoyed the camaraderie of everybody else that was there and uh, just honored to be uh, into that group. And uh, yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. Yeah, um, I'm proud of you, man. It's well-deserved. And <laughs> I got the video and I watched it and I'm like, man, I wish I was there, you know, 
because um yeah i wish you were there too rap <laughs> yeah too absolutely absolutely but um it's really cool because it's obviously not something you know when we're fit 10 15 years old thinking i'm gonna make the fantasy right. baseball hall of fame <laughs> you know <laughs> right I was thinking yeah. I was playing Stratomatic and and I, I I can imagine if there was a Hall of Fame for you know twelve year olds who play Stratomatic. That's what I was thinking about. I had no idea about fantasy baseball, but it's uh it's a really illustrious group, you know. And you have all like I looked at the actual Hall of Fame inductions and in MLB, you know, they had one. The first class was Cobb, Walter Johnson, Matthewson, Babe Ruth, and Honus Wagner. The second group was okay. They got Connie Mack, Nap, Joy, John McGraw in there, and Cy Young. And I was like, you know, your number of induction into the Hall of Fame would match the second group, but I think you belong in the first group, John. I think, you know, I think you're like a Ty Cobb. You think so, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not a huge baseball historian like i don't remember well my my memory from 1937 is a little fuzzy i would say <laughs> but uh in general uh there's so many uh you know people that i have in my group text and other people that i communicate with that are such baseball historians and uh i just i don't have all that history i have a little bit more just wisconsin milwaukee brewer history like i, I know the brewers pretty well um uh, but the 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 old time players, uh, I, I miss some of that, and uh, I, I'm kind of jealous of all the people that that know so much history. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so people can recall everything. Uh, like that's right. my like my oldest brother Joe. He knows he's got a fountain of information. He doesn't need stat head or right. you know or a tweet. He he knows it. He remembers it. He remembers where he was when things happened. You know, really, right. Right. really like baseball lifer. You know, we just got so many numbers that are clouding our brain john we can't squid <laughs> we can't fit in you know walk k minus walk plus the 2018 mvp it's too much yeah. <laughs> there's only right. so much information we can keep but i have to ask you this question before we start talking fantasy sure. stuff are you considering walking away <laughs> <laughs> what like like brady no <laughs> No, the fake no. comeback, fake, fake, no. fake retirement yeah. tour. <laughs> no, uh, Lord willing, I want to keep playing this game, and uh, I, I enjoy it. And uh, the the competitive nature of the the uh, process is so fun. And uh, yeah, there's, I'd like to keep playing this as long as I can. Yeah, I hear you, man. De definitely, and and you don't need to be in top shape to do so as long as long as your hands move you know and your eyes and read you're good you're good to go right there we go <laughs> yeah so let's talk about some lessons learned from 2022 um you know i always talk about how we can't really go forward and getting better as players unless we're like super unbiasedly critical of player evaluation roster construction and how we played in season that's why i really took a look at how like how well i did in fab where was i wasted money in fab you know what did i draft and all that stuff. I tried to dive in more than I ever did to see what I did wrong. Um, what did you take away from 2022? Yeah, I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts Rob, where you talk about that. And that's a, that's a great strategy to look back and uh, analyze the fab. And uh, for me, I think um, on my main event teams, um, I just need to do a little bit better drafting on the players. Um, I, I think my in-season game was, was strong uh, lineup. Part of the, the process was super good. Um, I just think uh, 
I should have, I should have crossed off some players off my list. They shouldn't have even been a consideration, I think. And, and I, I need to do a little bit better of that. I don't, I probably won't go full Casey Cha mode on that, but uh, there, I think uh, a little better evaluation on the players. If I could have started uh, the draft a little bit better, I think uh, would have ended up a little better. I had a, a fine season, nothing to complain about. Um, a couple of third places in the mains and uh, uh, the 12, I'm sure we'll talk. I think this is a series in your 12 OC uh, series, but uh, the 12s were really good. Um, the 15s, I, I, I would have liked to do a little bit better. And, I, and most of it was on the draft day part of it. So. When you say you have to do a better job um, of crossing guys off, is that because like maybe a player fell into a range when you were just like, ah, or are you not that kind of drafter? Like you're not going to say, oh, just because he's falling type of pick. Yeah. So many times players fall, 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 and there's a reason they're falling. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got to take them here. Look, that's the highest ADP or the lowest ADP. And, uh, and invariably it doesn't work out. And, and, some of the guys I just missed on or, you know, I don't know if it's evaluation or, uh, you know, Luis Robert and Giolito were two guys that kind of hurt um, when you drafted them. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I just need to do a little better on that. In general, on the 15s, you know, boring is good, really, on the, on the main event teams, right? There's no – you don't need to hit for the home run. You look at the end of the year, I'll never forget the year uh, Lindy Hinkleman won that main event. And I look back at that team, and I was kind of new to the NFBC at the time. I look back at that team, and I said, that team, I don't know. It's not that great. It's it's so boring. But he won the whole thing, right? And then uh, year after year, it's kind of the same story. It's like Jenstad's team last year. Um, it, it looks kind of okay, you know, but it's – at the end of the day, it's it's a, end of the season. It's a great team, and uh, uh, I think there's lessons to be learned on that. Um, you know, the high variable player. You don't you don't necessarily have to hit that. And, uh, I know. You're better it's off like, just accumulating those stats. It's such an uh, it's it's such an illusion, right? That that this myth that you have to hit on all these Tatis DeGrom type players, right? You have to have both of them to win the right. overall. Otherwise you'll never be able to separate yourself, but that's not, not the, you know, that's not the gist of it at all. Um, It's just, right. you know, if you had 10 guys in the top and rounds that didn't miss time at all, like right. stayed healthy, that's, that's, that's the biggest edge you can have. If your guys that you're counting on, you know, didn't miss a beat and played all the time for you. It's such a big key. Yeah, and even though I mentioned Giolito and Robert, I, I think in general too much focus on the top as well as uh, you know the whole community. We focus on the, those first two or three rounds, and you know just get average players there or steady players. That really the draft is uh, won and lost later, right in the middle to the end, and uh, and then you add the in season moves. So you know it's not so much that. I think you've got some examples of teams winning that had players uh, miss the whole year in the first two rounds, right? So yep. uh, I think Phil's team, right? Or uh, he lost to Grob, I think. And, uh, you know, so there's lots of those examples out there. But yep. we, we tend to focus on the top a lot. For sure. Absolutely. So last year we had a very drastic MLB run environment. So what did you do to deal with that in season? How, how soon did you pick up on it that it was – real and then like when do you come to that 
time at conclusion to say, okay, I have to adjust accordingly. Like what you do so well in tracking stats. Like how did you quick, quick, quick move to do something different or yeah, I'll let you de describe your process. Did someone say tracking stats? Tracking stats. <laughs> I, I love tracking stats. Yeah. So, uh, for sure, I start out with, uh, I know I hear some folks like the 80% percentile targets. Some people think that's crazy or it's it's not important. But I generally start with 80% uh, projection of, of the previous year stats or what I think the, the, the stats will be for the current year. Like you might bump some things up for this year. But really, that's just so that you end up with a balanced team, right? You, you kind of have to end the draft day somewhat balanced. Um, and, and then once the season starts, I, I kind of shift from what those 80% projections were. And, and this is actually a tip I, one of your guests was on, I, I think it was Weimer or one of the guys that said, it, you know, instead of doing 80% of the, they, when they go to in season, they took 80% of the, the points, right? So then you're always in real time tracking what your percentage of points are. And then you can see, you know, you can't do it right at the beginning, but once you get into the season a little bit, it gives you a pretty good idea where you're tracking in terms of uh, save percent of points and win percent of points and stolen bases. And, and that's what I did last year. And uh, you could see that uh, the runs, you know, some of the categories were changing pretty rapidly versus the previous year and, and the previous uh, projections that we had for the 80 percentile. So you know, that, and that gave me a truer uh, picture of it, I think. And then I was able to make some adjustments based on that, but you, I do it from the beginning just so that I end up with somewhat, and there's multiple ways to get a balanced team. Uh, you know, some people just jot down the, the categories on a, you know, a pad of paper and at break, they see where they're at, or some people do the average per spot and see where they're at. Uh, lots of different ways to do it, but I think it is important to draft a, I think in order in these overall contests, you need to participate in all the categories or you're never going to win the overall. It's very unlikely to win with a category less than 50%, for example. And, and really that 80 percentile, that's kind of the sweet spot. If you kind of look at how the points grab, if you did a, a bell curve on the points and, you know, the, the additional stats in those categories end up giving you the maximum points it changes a little bit per category per year but i think that 80 percent is a good shot is a good thing to go for and uh that, that allows you to get the most points yeah it's such a it's such a valuable tool for sure um and it's such a easily accessible tool right on the site it's one of the best pieces of data that you can pluck off the nfbc just look at the overall formats and it's right there for you you know like there's the right. MLB trend, but then there's the trends within our game that matter the most, you know? So that's right. You can say, oh yeah, power is low, but then you can quantify it by knowing because you're just streaming, like, where's the power? <laughs> it's like, where are my power hitters on the, on the wire? There, there wasn't any, you know, it's re yeah, just some... reaching for um, Aristides Aquino, you know, at the, at the end of the season, <laughs> you can if you bat 140, I need power. <laughs> right. Right. That, that's right. And the, <laughs> and the site is great to see all those, uh, those items. And sometimes you can see that you're low, but you don't have to worry because you've got a guy coming, you got two guys on the bench or you got two prospects that are about to hit and you know, you're going to get a bump. And, um, 
you can you have the ability to run three or four closers out there. You're just choosing to do two at this time, right? There's, so you know sometimes you don't have to make the adjustment on fab. You just need to make the adjustment on lineup. Yes, very true, very true. And get back to a point that you made. Yeah, you can't you can't get to the overall top if you you're really lacking in one category. And and last year in the NFBC fifties. I had a pitching staff and just my hit. It was the only team I drafted judge on. And I think I had six categories. That was 90 percentile in and saves John. I was 17th percentile. I like <laughs> 400 yeah. save points. And I still was in the top six, you know, and it's just, I think I calculated wow. like if I got 11 more saves, I could have had a shot. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just one of those speculative teams I did to, you know, Matt Barnes and, um, fluoro and just a whole bunch of speculative closer types, and it it just it didn't right. work out. You know, everything else worked yep. out, but not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yep. I guess it depends on the size of the contest too, right? If there's two thousand teams versus five hundred teams, right? So uh, then you might be able to get away with a category a little bit lower. Absolutely. So let's talk about the expected um, rule changes for twenty twenty three. What do you think might happen? How are you ordering like? how impactful they'll be for fantasy purposes. And I guess I'm always careful of like how to implement it. You know, you don't want to be too aggressive on what you think may happen because if it doesn't, you know, it could really change how you built your team, you know? So how are you looking to handle this this year? Yeah. First of all, I just love the rule changes. I think this is going to be great. I, I love the uncertainty of what's going to happen. Like, uh, <laughs> It's going to make it pretty exciting to watch, I think, and to see what happens. But I think the shift is the biggest one. I think um, lots of hitters are going to benefit from the the shift. Uh, um, yep. And and then in order, you know, I'm not sure about the other ones, right? The pitch clock thing, it's going to be super interesting uh, to see how – I think there are going to be pitchers that are affected by that, but they're all professional players and they've got some time to ramp up and – I would think they're all going to figure that out. I, I kind of want to see what the game gamemanship gamesmanship is going to be like on some of this stuff. Like, is the catcher going to roll the ball back to the pitcher to give him more time? And I, I, I mean, there's just going to be some crazy things that we're not thinking of that they're all thinking about right now of how to give that pitcher some extra time or when is it the hitter? When is it the fault of the hitter that he's not ready versus the pitcher? And I, it's the whole crazy. The whole two throws to first base, right? And how, man, it's going to be a, a lot of interesting things. I'm, I'm excited to see all that. I saw a catcher um, in high A over here um, in Jersey, Jersey Shore Blue Claw game. He 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 threw he lobbed like six in a row. <laughs> and and the ump said something to him, and then he started throwing regular again. So I think they were even okay. Yeah. yeah, he was saying yeah, none of that because yeah, that lob it doesn't count really. So yeah, the extra point six seconds you're giving the pitcher, it's just weird. Uh, it's just yeah, it's a lot of gamesmanship, a lot of things. Because what about the hitters too? I think we're talking about will the pitcher right. be able to get set, but what about the players who have these routines? <laughs> you know, right. to step in the box, yeah. and then you see a lot of these young kids like. Julio Rodriguez is, I think, and they they pivot yeah. off that one fit, like kind of like um Mike Piazza used to do with the Mets, like the kind of yeah, way I yeah. I emulated batting too. I I always kept my back foot in the box, and 
if anything I needed a breather, I would like pivot out and just like take a deep breath, but I would never lose my spot because like getting yeah. back to your spot takes a while, you know, especially if you're like OCD over that stuff. So a lot of these younger kids though, they're, they're staying in the box. So right. like, they understand the rules and, I had uh, Jeff Ponce who worked for Baseball America on, and he was talking about how oh, a lot yeah. of the minor league kids he talked to were said it was they stayed focused more because you 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 have less time to worry about other things that creep into your life. Oh, I have a bill I didn't pay, or oh, look at this guy in the stands, or just random things. You know, you just now you can't think about anything. You get the ball, you right. got to throw it. You know, um, so yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And like you said, not knowing what's gonna happen yeah. is yeah. crazy crazy good good thing ryan braun is retired that guy would drive me crazy the the wrist the, the gloves and tighten it and then take this one loose and tighten that one again and then finally he's in the plate uh, at the plate but oh man he wouldn't survive this that takes so much energy to do all that stuff too like mental energy <laughs> you know it seems exhausting to do that every time you need right. to take a pitch which um stolen base guys are you expecting to get the biggest bump some people are saying they're expecting right. you know the the six to eight to ten type of guy some people are like oh, i think the the guys at the top or like the cream is going to rise even more i kind of think more of that too like i, I wouldn't shock me if someone like jake mccarthy or tommy Edmonds stole 50 bases because they it seems easy for them but prior, you know, um, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah. So I, I just, the first thing I, I thought of was to look at who got caught stealing the most last year. And uh, a Rose Arena has led that list with 12, Acuna 11, Mulligans. Well, M Mullins, I call him Mulligans because you usually want to take a Mulligan after you draft him, but he had 10. <laughs> yes. That is the most perfect thing I ever heard about Cedric Mullins, John. Fantastic work. <laughs> Marte nine, Mateo nine, Otani eight, Semyon eight, Bichette eight, Dylan Moore seven. Uh, so those, you know, those that group of. So I always think of stolen bases as one, three, three components. One, the faster guys run, right? You got to have speed. Two, you need to be in the right system, right? Certain teams run, certain teams don't. And then the third one is so hard to figure out is just a player's desire to run, right? So. Uh, that's always to me the one that I try to focus on and try to pick up uh, tips or hear things or what have you. But if if a player wants to run and they have the other two pieces that versus they don't really care to run, it's just such a it could be ten or fifteen steal difference, right? You know, between a year if the player wants to run. So I don't know what triggers all that for a player, but. Uh, Sometimes maybe they don't want to get hurt or uh, or contract year or they got incentives. I'm who, I'm not quite sure, but uh, so I think from that group, those guys are probably the ones that will likely end up with a lot more stolen bases. It's really a fascinating column because you see that Rosarena was 32 for 44 and 44 attempts is anyone who wants to. It's, Focus on the 12 court stealing. I think they're missing the bigger picture, right? That he, they let him run 44 times. And right. again, that's not they also let him, but he, he, he took it. He aggressive. Uh, and I think that's something that's really um, missed when people focus on co the court stealings. It's the attempts, you know? Um, yeah. So this is an interesting list for sure. And Otani is very fascinating, right? Because 
Right. He was 11 for 20 and, you know, he, he's just a great athlete and you just, is that extra, you know, the base distance, is that going to help him? Or is he going to be less aggressive because he's playing for, or, you know, who knows? Is he going to put on a show like and just be more aggressive? It's so there's so many ways you can go with that, you know, for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about some uh, draft prep and how it goes hand in hand with you know the in season work. Um, I always love your advice for anyone you know <laughs> using resources in the in the best ways because I think that's what that's what ultimately we have to do, right? What can we do with the resources that we have? So um, describe a little bit of your draft prep. Well, I, I generally, I, I do play football as well. So I don't start till football's pretty much done. Um, I try to take some time off uh, in between. And then um, it generally starts when I get, I still like the baseball forecaster. Uh, you know, I, I love mm -hmm. getting the, the first, you get the electronic copy and then you get the, the printed copy and there's still something about the printed copy of having that and just paging through that and looking at different things. And I, lo I love reading the forward and the, you know, the different people that add different stuff to that. And then we get the process. I, I highly recommend uh, Jeff and Tanner's uh, process book. Uh, that That's just, even if you just have it sitting there and just go through the, you don't have to read it all at once, just read a section or, I mean, there's just some, outstanding uh, information in, in both of those books and especially the process uh, like how, how it's amazing how many stats uh, are available via fab right in a 12 team versus 15 team and, and just those kind of things or how the fab money is spent or they, they do deep dives into all kinds of, of good stuff and uh, it's a fun one to read some of it gets and you wrote the forward I wrote the forward to the process. Yeah. I did. And it yeah. was perfect because your your analysis, like your observation of that, ah, that's that seems crazy, you know, Jeff and Tanner. Like, <laughs> how can you say something like that? And then then you read it and go, Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> and then beyond that, I, you know, I, I do like some of the other sites, Rotowire, um Babs. I I, I like Chandler's uh way of looking at players a little bit um you know i also like the rasball group uh, in terms of their information and the fun you know those the common fan graphs uh, all the websites everybody uses probably so and then you know what's new in the last few years is all these podcasts right like this is like so many so much great information um you know, you can go overboard, I suppose, too. There's so many to choose from now. But, you know, I like your stuff, Rob. I, in fact, I got a, a little bit of a podcast idea for you, Rob, maybe. Um, oh, right. You should, you should, like, rate the podcast. You know, you could, like, um, maybe you could aggregate them. You could take a little bit from this one, a little bit from that one, a little bit from that one. And you could have an aggregation podcast. And then at the end of the, all that, you could probably see which one is best, but you pick out what what the criteria is, and then you can anoint yours the best. <laughs> the best aggregation podcast. <laughs> I love it. Great idea. I want to run with it. But I mean, the, there are a lot of podcasts out there, and there's going to be a, a huge one that's going to, I mean, going to give everyone the best tips to win fantasy baseball, John. <laughs> I think it's right the mouth, right? I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's not going to want to go there for the best information? Oh, man, if, poor Zach. Zach, I'm just... <laughs> I will I will be your support if you need it, Zach. Anything you need to help get you through it, I'm there for you, buddy. I don't know why you would want to put yourself up with this torture. No, but I mean, good luck to them. Like Mike is uh again, I think that we know what Mike is, it's definitely gonna be more entertainment. Um Zach will bring the baseball knowledge and the data and Mike will just make fun of it somehow. No, but it'll in, be funny. Serious. Yeah, in all seriousness, there's some good information on these these podcasts. Some are entertaining. You know, I, I like uh, the guests you bring on, Rob. I think I find that helpful. I'm glad to see the pull hitter. Uh, I mean, the uh, launch angle one back. Uh, I think that was great. Um, I listened to the first episode of that. That, that was pretty funny. Uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, uh, that one's unique in the sense of how they approach it, right? They do a round and uh, yeah, those obviously Rob and Jeff are, are great uh, players in their own right. And uh, it's, it's great to listen to their opinions and on these different players. So that's kind of fun. I enjoy that format. Right. Absolutely. Um, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there and it, it's so funny. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, that <clears throat> the baseball forecast is always, like you said, that first thing that kind of can thumb through and put your hands on. And it's so funny how it's changed for me. I was always straight to the player notes, like yeah. not skipping anything in the front. I would go back to it. But now like I read more right. of the abstract stuff about, you know, right. roster management and like Steve Weimer had some excellent stuff in there this year. Um, and it, all those um, and, and the one about the playing time this year by Ed the the carrier, I think I'm saying that right, but it was really fascinating insight right. into like how many people start every week and then how many at bat they're getting for the start. And it's like yeah. nice simplified profile um chart. So um some of yeah, these I was always rushing these, to like, oh, what's Jose Ramirez's box? Because I might keep yeah. him in 2015, <laughs> you know. Right. Now now I'm reading more about how the game was played and what we did, you know, as a whole, and then I get to the player stuff. Right. And, and some of these sites have great like baseball guides, like overall, like the FTN baseball guide, so much good information in that one as well. I don't think I mentioned that one earlier, but uh, yeah, that's all good. And then as we get towards this time of the year, you know, no um, disrespect to the fantasy baseball channel or the, the content providers, but I kind of, this time of the year, I start shifting a little bit from uh, the fantasy channel to the baseball channel, right? I, I start the more information I can get from the, the baseball managers and uh, the interviews, I think there's just some stuff there that, that helps more uh, with my decision-making than everybody's got the stats, the projections, they're all within a certain range of each other. The rate, the rate stats are the rate stats and they, there's not a huge amount of disagreement among them. So now we're focusing on playing time, I think. And, um, batting order and things like that. And some of that you can't just pick up from what you're reading. You're, you're listening to different things from managers and uh, coaches and uh, et cetera. And, and that's where my focus starts shifting somewhere around here to, towards that kind of content and more mining the news type of content that you might call it. So uh, that that's just my strategy. No, that's, great i mean just have mlb.com on in the background um not .com the um mlb yeah. network um right. was doing you know it was just maybe doing something in the kitchen and i had it on 
about a month ago, and they were, they were talking with Gunnar Henderson, and he said, "No, I got my third base glove, got my shortstop glove. I'm working, I'm working everywhere." You know, like he, no one really reported that on Twitter, so it was interesting. You know, it just, yeah, just keep your ears open because, like you said, right, coming from the mouth of a player, and obviously we have to take what the manager is saying with a grain of salt. But I, I like listening to the player talk, and which is why, even too non fantasy wise. There's podcasts out there that have active baseball players. And like, I love listening to the Ian Happ one. Um, okay. And the Chris Rose rotation he constantly has on, like Giolito and Miguel Rojas. Right. And he has a stable guy and he brings in like other people too. And you could hear real, real players talk about their prep work. And then also they drop some nuggets every now and then, you know, like Tyler Glass. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm working on a yeah. couple of new things. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> what are those new things? And so, I don't know. You, it, I think we can set up ourselves with the fantasy advice, but there's also all these real life nuggets that we can hear right. now, you know, and help yeah, some, some of those new things are what, the, what makes the projections a little bit off sometimes, right. Or they don't account for certain things, the, the new pitch or the new pitch mix, or, uh, you know, it, it's hard for projections to catch everything. And, uh, once you hear about something, then you can go back and look at it and you can verify it. And, uh, and then the other thing on pitchers too, it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect when players rotate between relief and starting and then the, the stats don't translate quite exactly right. So, uh, but that's kind of what my approach is, is just to gather more of the mining the news type of thing uh, as we get closer and closer and try to pick up some playing time. Was that an AJ Puck tweet? Uh about the transition <laughs> right <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. he's like a polarizing guy too i just i think i just took him in in a dc at like 450 460 ish oh yeah um, he was just like the next best arm i had like right. on my list and um i was like well i think it was probably a couple of days after i read jeff Zimmerman's article i said you can you know uh, how to estimate how many innings he might get you know and he did some historical right. comps and he said best case you might see 140 and i was like hey, you know what i'll take the chance if he ends up starting yeah. i'll take that chance you know or if he ends up going back to that 80 90 kind of garrett whitlock role where you could start a day or close a game you know um again that's going to the uh skills over role that's a certain part of the dcs right it's they have to start just looking at the skills because the roles yeah. are just up for grabs anyway so you, you just want to kind of get the best profiles that you like and sp speaking of DCs, I think that's another part of the prep is that I, you know, I love the, I don't play too many DCs. Usually, I usually play like three or four. Um, I'm involved with a couple. I'm usually doing the New Year's Day one as my first one. And then uh, the Mia League, which starts today, actually. So I'm, I'm in that one as well, which is a, a special group of guys that do it every single year, the the same league uh, um, in honor of... Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a cool story. I guess it, it started years ago, and uh, uh, a group of guys were drafting guys and gals. I don't know. And then uh, one of the one of the owners' daughter got sick or was in the hospital, so they had to delay the draft. And from then, they call it the Mia League because uh, the scale's name was Mia, and uh, uh, and she picks uh, the draft order every year. So it's kind of cool. So that starts that's today. Awesome. That's yeah. Fun. Yeah. I like that. That's great. I I'm. I'm really um, 
actually happy that I'm a part of uh, your the New Year's Day draft. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty nice little uh, bunch there, and it's a perfect day to just strike up a draft. You know, start the yeah. start the new year cleansing with a draft. You know, everyone's dieting, everyone's going back into the gym. Just just get into a DC. That's... Where else? Where else can you get fifty seven texts in one day from Mikey? <laughs> oh my God! On New Year's Day, like stop, stop, Mike. Oh God bless him. Oh man. Um, yeah. So talking about. You just mentioned how many DCs that you that you might do. You just want to talk about, you know, your selection, league, fab versus draft and hold. I know because like a couple of years ago, I think you played in like 13 of those NFBC 50s. And I, I think I noticed you lessened that down a little bit this year. But you, I mean, fuck you, John. You won 11 of those 13, I think. <laughs> just like looking back at that, I'm like, Jesus, you just dominated all these leagues and the next year you're like i'm gonna play less of you but it's time it, it takes a lot of time just to settle those lineups right is that the biggest reason yeah, i think so, <laughs> so roster or uh contest selection I, I i like almost all the contests i mean I, I play a variety of them um mainly the dcs to start and then the 50s were just a little cheaper and it gives me the live. I tried to do some of those live just like you're on the clock and you're picking a minute, you know, 60 seconds. So you get some of that selection versus uh, the slow draft. I think that's important to be on the clock and, and you know, be ready for the bigger drafts. And uh, but what I, I thought that was just going to be an easy way and, and it wasn't going to take a lot of time and there wouldn't be a lot of because there's no fab in the 50s either. But man, did I underestimate the lineup part of that? <laughs> so that's why I thought, okay, not so many of those uh, next next time. And, and I did the 50s to prepare for the OCs. Uh, 12 teams are quite a bit different than the 15. So uh, that's why I did those. But uh, And then uh, I do a fair amount of OCs. Um, for the 15s, I, I do the DCs, and then I'll do uh, a couple auctions and uh, three, four main events, something like that. And then the rest will be... Uh, I do some cut lines generally. I haven't done any cut lines yet this year, and uh, I haven't decided on that exactly yet. Um, they changed the 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 payouts, and uh, they just changed the format a little bit on that. and And I got burned a couple times on that cut line. The, the to me, the fab periods are just too far away from the end of the year, and you just get some dead teams, and you can't. It's it's so geared for the overall that. Um, it's hard to compete if you just get unlucky on that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the OCs, uh, I don't know. I can usually do nine, ten. I can handle twenty to thirty fab leagues, and that seems like a lot for a lot of people, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I love the fab part of it, and I can handle that many leagues. Yeah, that's the lineup setting can <laughs> it can get out of hand, you know. It's um. And you're like, oh, I gotta set. You set all your big leagues, and then you're going down the line. Like, oh, man, this. Yeah, I, I, I got, I got, I got a lot of time left to get through all these teams. <laughs> yeah, once that season starts, I just love it. I just love, you know, I love this part of the season doing the drafts. But to me, there's nothing like once the season starts, like tracking the stats, trying to figure out your best lineup for the week, doing fab. I mean. I love doing fab. I mean, I just, yeah. and, and the system is is so good. Uh, it's, 
I'm anxious to try the new things that they've uh, added to it. And I'm really only familiar with NFPC. I, I don't know any of the other formats. Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm not saying that the other formats aren't, aren't good and they have great systems. I don't even know. I, the, the one I know is NFPC and that's the one I play. And uh, I, I just know myself that I'm not too good at adapting to new different types of uh, systems. So uh, I'm yeah. better off just <laughs> just keep playing the NFPC. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a good contest and I, I love the various contests within uh, NFPC. Absolutely. So what is your best advice to like be able to separate the evaluation for 12 and 15 team leagues, like in terms of how to rank your players or how to build your teams, what's your simplest path to at least just establishing how different the leagues are? Yeah. You know, they are so different. You have to have a different mindset uh, playing each. Um, The obvious thing is that the replacement level is so much higher on a 12 that um, you really do you know, I, I always view the 15, like I said earlier, the 15 teams are kind of like your boring, safe looking teams and the 12s, um, you, you need to, you need to have a little more upside, uh, maybe a little more risk. Uh, you for sure could take a little more risk, uh, on 12s and, um, that boring player at the end, you know, you're better off trying to, to hit a draft a prospect or hit somebody that's gonna, that has a, a very a high variance in terms of output. And uh, the difference is you're also competing against the 2,200 or 2,500 teams versus uh, 600 or what have you. So uh, to beat, to beat the field, you need to have a, a more special team, I would say on the 12s. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it yeah. also differs in pitching too, right? You're generally the save totals are quite a bit higher. You're, you're, you definitely need three closers uh, every week, um, pretty much, or you need to average three closers in, in a 12 team league. Um, I, you can't hardly do that in a 15. So that, that's another big difference is how saves are handled. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I've noticed too, there's within separate, OC that I had, the way the other teams were handling closers were different, you know? It could be totally different in two leagues. There's one league where guys are up at the top more, one, two, or three teams that have already established a 20-save lead, and they're down to one, you know? And some teams in the middle might have three or four in their start. You know, it just just varies so much within each league, um, especially at the closer spot, you know? I love playing the 12s. I mean, I just, I could play. That's my favorite contest is the 12 teamers. So it is, uh, right? I just, yeah. I, I mean, number one, you, you can't hardly not draft a team and feel good about it, right? I mean, you gotta, <laughs> every, every 12 teamer looks good, right? So it does. Right yeah. away, you feel good about it. But, uh, but then I think it's just a whole different fab game on the 12s, right? So you're, if you have one of the better teams is get, it gets tricky as the season goes. Uh, and generally the twelves, I can, if you're aggressive on fab or if you're, you make the right moves on fab, your team's going to get better and better as the season goes. And, and as such, your drops become better and better in terms of you're dropping better players. And it gets a little tricky in twelves because you're dropping some good players. Uh, but there's always uh I find that the 12 teamers people struggle with who to drop and how to handle the 12 teamers. And there's invariably some really good pickups available on 12s. 
yeah, to make a that, difference. Absolutely. That's my that was my biggest wow moment in the first time I played the 12s. I was so focused on the 15s and <laughs> I was holding on to guys I shouldn't have. I think I showed you a couple guys like, no, you got to get rid of those guys, dude. Like, <laughs> they're not going to do anything for you. I was like, all right, I guess I'm right. Just because uh, I guess, you know, you have a, you draft these guys with the intention that they're going to be around for a while, but then, you know, you just have to move on because they're just, they're, like you said, there's better opportunities in there. Yeah. You're handcuffing yourself from possible like increase in value. You know, you can ask yourself, well, how much better is this guy? Like, oh, that's on the wire. I, I don't need him, but maybe yeah. not looking so at here, that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's a test I always do, Rob, is uh, I always find myself, I, I catch myself doing this is uh, going through fab. Oh, I can't drop this player. I can't drop this player. You you always try to pick out your drops first, right? Before you even do fab, but you highlight them or you make a list or whatever you do. But uh, so you can't drop the guy, but then you get to the next league and that guy's available and you don't want to bid on him. Well, that tells you right <laughs> there. You know, the guy's okay to drop, right? Like, Great point. Yeah. yeah. It's okay to do it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a good practice. I have to do that more for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if if someone getting involved in, um, been involved in a DC or hasn't played a DC yet, and they might be looking at online championship ADP and draft champion ADP, there's some guys that have like a big difference. So you, that's just because of the fab element and people are taking a different chance on a specific profile that is like easily droppable in the first couple of weeks. Or is there anything you could think of that? would be added to that difference in a person's ADP. Yeah, I think, um, well, in, in an OC, obviously you need to have a, a complete roster at the end of your draft um, versus the the DC, you can fill that second catcher later, right? It, it could be you yep. know, 35th round or what what have you. And you're, you're planning more for depth in your DCs. Um, OCs, yeah, I think you're starting to think about week one matchups already as you're drafting, uh, when you're drafting those last uh, players. And uh, um, you're you're fine taking a lot of chances on some guys that uh, you're not sure, like Painter and the, the Toronto kid. And they'll probably get pushed up because it's an easy drop if they're not on or um, even yeah. Trevor Bauer probably will get drafted in these these within the 30 rounds of an OC and uh, it's an easy drop if he doesn't get signed and things like that. So more, more upside chances on, in the, in the 12s. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, I'm looking at just a list of OC versus DC ADP and it seems like the guys who have the biggest drops, um, they're like 25, 35, 40 picks off, but there's some at the top, with earlier ADPs that are 80, 90 pick differences. Oh. And two of them is um the first guy is Oscar Colos. Um he's actually around 270 okay. in the OCs and 370 in the DC. And then Juan is in that kind of same range. So it's almost like a like a fifth, like a fifth outfielder. Like you were saying, you have to fill your team. So maybe those guys are those speculative types, like you're saying you you pick them up and you're hoping for like a full-time yeah. run. And if they're not, you could drop them. Yeah. Like Colas, uh, obviously if he's going to be the starting uh, outfielder, then that's a nice one. If he's not, you're probably dropping them. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. 
Absolutely. How do you um like to split your teams up, uh, hitter pitcher wide? I guess in the twelves, and is there like a point in the draft too where you need to have a specific, you know, half like five and five, or you're not worried about that too much as like an arbitrary number? Yeah, I don't have an arbitrary number. I, I think in general I've been heavier on the pitching side. I I don't mind. Uh, I think you have to draft a super strong pitching staff. Um, so. You know, aces early or is no problem for me to do that. Um, I, I generally don't do anything extreme. Uh, on I see some, you know, I don't do Dalton Del Don's extreme on yellow, yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't go six, seven hitters in a row either. Um, I've always wanted. I've had thoughts of I'm going to do that in this draft and I can never do it. <laughs> like I just, I'm so ingrained uh, to think about balance always. So, uh, it's just hard for me to, to do anything extreme on a draft. Yeah. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to do that. It's, I mean, the outcomes of it, if you do it, you, you'll be you'll have something named after you you'll have the follow the yellow brick road you'll have pocket yeah. aces you know you need to if you want to stand out and and be the guy that they you know is known for the strategy um sometimes right. you got to be aggressive like that it's so funny how some you know um known draft strategies become like words right. that we just use it's, it's really funny like that and you really stop to reflect on it <laughs> what about your relief pitcher kind of tendencies and the OCs. I think I've been trying to look at, you know, who who you might take in the last couple of rounds as a spec, just hoping to win the job, or, or, you know. And then when it comes to whether the spring trainings are kind of getting a little more tight and we have some certainty in roles, are you aggressive getting a closer in an OC or you just kind of pick your spot to where you get them? Yeah, so in OCs, um, I generally draft uh, at least one closer early, sometimes two. Um, but, you know, just you do need more saves, and you're probably pitching three closers more often, but you don't necessarily have to do that from the beginning, and, and saves become way more available in 12s and 15s, right, just because of the size of the player pool as well as the nature of folks dropping guys too quick or not, you know, they are poor drops or uh, that kind of thing. So it's easier to, to speculate on, on potential ones throughout the year in 12s. And so I, I don't feel like I need to have the three guys coming out of a draft. Uh, generally I'll have one for sure. And then uh, I'll have usually two. And then my late picks often are speculative closers at this time of the year. And then as we get closer to the season, it might be a little bit different, but this time of the year, if you're doing OCs, uh, yeah, you load, I'm probably more likely to have one or two and then uh, spec picks at the end for some safe guys. Um, and the, during uh, right before the season starts, then maybe more likely to have two for sure, maybe three um, drafting. So it just depends on the time of the year and proximity to the season start. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, Last year, you needed um, about 72 saves to be in a, the 80th percentile, 79 for the 90th percentile. Um, so in reality, when you think about that, you can maybe lock up that number with two guys or close to it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of alluring at the same time. Like you said, when you're in the season and you realize how many more saves become on the wire, um, 
But then, like, I had a league where the 12 and a 12 where the saves weren't so readily available as the, the other two leagues. So you, you can assume that, but maybe your league right. isn't playing like that. So then your assumption of your league playing like that becomes not not an advantage from the draft route that you took. So it could bite you in the butt. And in the and in the fifteens, you're happy with saves, whatever form it comes in, almost right. But in the twelves, you, you need the saves, but you can't just get saves from a guy that's not giving you the case as well, right? Or or the other part. So that that puts a little more premium on the higher closers as well. I think is that the other categories, uh, you you need the high K rate to go with the saves in the twelves. I always feel like, and whereas in a fifteen, you know the Bob Wickman types from 15 years ago are okay, uh-huh. but that doesn't work in a 12, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You, you may not mind uh, a Melanson, right, type guy in a 15 because right. you're just worried about that save. Hopefully you got enough innings elsewhere that he he's his 5 ERA and 3.6 whip. It won't kill your team, but, you know, right. it's just that number, it's that one number you need. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and at twelve, you can't assume that. And there was a lot of teams that um that I saw in twelves in my league last year that were really a little too aggressive with the the whole. You know, in a fifteen, we can get away with using a Michael King or a Munoz. Right. You know, when they were better than the the actual starters available. You know, they strike out guys. Yeah. They might pitch in yeah. two in it. You know, two games. But in a twelve, I saw some teams being a little too aggressive with that, like almost keeping a guy in that spot for several weeks, six weeks in a row. Right. And you're not going to be able to pull that off because you're going to weaken yourself in saves and K's, you know? So right. there's a fine balance of being aware of like what those pitchers can do for you. You know, if you're just completely punting saves and you have eight, you know, eight, seven, eight starters and two of those guys, maybe that that's a route that you're going for. But in terms of balance, I think it, it goes backwards, you know? Um, a little bit. Um, so let's let's hop on over to uh auction talk. I want to do a little auction talk. Sure. Sure. All right, all right, cool. Um, do you do you kind of? I know you do some of the bigger auctions. I plan. I'm doing two of them this year as well. Um, do you use the AAVs from the online auction championships as a guide, or is it just are they too different because of the price points that you won't really utilize them as much? Yeah, I think I will utilize them. Um, I'll probably, the, I'm not so sure about the price point being the, the differentiating thing, but, or, or whether where in the season that draft happened at or that auction happened at, right? So auctions that have happened uh, a couple of weeks ago may not be as relevant as auctions that happen, you know, a month from now or two weeks from now. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good basis. Uh, I'll, I'll use that, you know, I'll, I'll chart the min, the max and the average and uh, compare that to various projection systems. And, uh, and then I'll have my favorites in each section, each tier that I like to go for in general. Uh, yeah, I'll probably spend a little bit more on pitching than I have over the last years, right? So I think as 
we used to have this idea that a hundred dollars in pitching versus uh, would be enough. Uh, it's hardly, I don't think that's enough anymore. So it was probably be a little higher than that. I think it's skewing a little bit more towards the pitching in terms of dollars spent. Yeah. I think um, the last time I looked, it was 24 starting pitches above 20 bucks. Um, okay. There's just a lot of, I felt like a lot more of those 15, $18 guys last year. Now I've just entered that $20 range <clears throat> and less, less at the top. It seemed like Burns and Cole's price last year came down a little bit. Yeah. From like 44, 45 to 38, but there's more guys after them that are, and it's like only a small, like, let me bring it up, but I think there's only a very small difference right now between um, a Cole and Strider, which I thought was very interesting because as much as I like Strider too, you got to think if you can just get uh, burn, um, Cole is AAV right now is 35 and Strider's 31. And wow. like, I like Strider. Don't get me wrong. Like I have nothing against Spencer Strider, but being only $4 less than Garrett Cole is just, that mm -hmm. has to change in some form either Cole going up or Strider going down I would think unless I don't know yeah. well yeah I, I think I, I did look at them just like that. I haven't done any uh the online auctions um I'll probably do one before the the season starts um before the live draft start but um to me it, they look the top end looked a little bit light um just from what I'm seeing but we'll see and, and like in everything like in drafts or auctions uh, that that top tier of starting pitching really moves up as we get closer and closer. Right. Like uh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. that there's at least Cole and Burns in the, in the first round, I think main event time, uh, maybe more. We'll see. Yeah. Cause we were seeing multiple like $50 bats too. In, okay. in the same drafts yeah. last year, you know, we had the J Ram right. Turner's, they were right. going low 51, you know, um, and there's only been one $50 max in, in, in J Rod. So it's, that's pretty, that's, that's also pretty telling. Um, I mean, it seemed like every auction I was in or saw, you know, Turner always went for $50, you know, or 49 right. minimum. So it's interesting, little interesting change in the, uh, in the market for sure. So you, so you'll use one of the online auctions to prep you for your bigger auctions. Yeah. I'll, I'll do one just to get a little bit more flavor of uh, where the auctions are going at. And then, uh, and then I'll probably do two of them in Vegas, I guess. So uh, that should be fun. I, they're not all filling yet, but I, I think they'll fill by the time it comes around here. So those are a lot of fun. And uh, in the end, you just want to build a team that, that can produce the most dollars, right? So you spend 260 to get 300, hopefully, right? So um, um, that that's, I, I do like uh, Scrubs, uh, Stars and Scrubs approach um, generally. Um, the I scrubs always feel don't, like- the, the, the Scrubs don't like that term, John. Um, they <laughs> they want to cancel the term Scrubs. Okay. I don't, no, I'm just joking. I right. think you should come up with a new term. And yeah. <laughs> a new politically correct. Correct term yeah. for stars and scrubs. <laughs> no, I like stars and scrubs. <laughs> no, in general, right? Everybody's one dollar player, end of end of auction player. We all don't have the same player, right? So then, some of those one dollar players really are. Um, you, you're going to have values that are higher, right? So they're going to produce two, three, four, five, hopefully, right? So what you gain on there that that helps you pay a little bit higher on the top end and, and Jeff's 
Jeff Tanner's book goes through that pretty well as well. That's a that's another good part of that book is uh, the auction strategy stuff, auction theory. Absolutely, because one of the things that blew my mind was that I never really accounted for, thought about was how there's always that document. There's always going to be like twenty or thirty players that that you don't have a valuation for. So technically you can apply that into how much more money you want to spend because like for every guy that's not in your player pool that goes right. in the draft, you can literally mark up a dollar or distribute it everywhere you want. And that's one of the, like that, that's when you read like smart people books and you, you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, uh, I never I really thought of that concept before, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you said it much better than I did, but that's that's what I yeah. was trying to say. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very um. Do, do you use anything like in the draft? Like, are you looking at inflation type things, like to see if where a distribution of the money is going in terms of hitting or pitching, or you just is that not a tool you really think is necessary? Well, the main tool is I listen to Ariel's hip, auction hypnosis uh, pod, so I, I've got that down. Uh, and then after that, I go into, uh, yeah, I, just like everybody else does, is is you kind of look into uh, where guys are going when they're thrown out. Generally, you, you go get your guys early. Um, the auctions have a certain flow to it, but auction players are getting better and better as well as a group. So it's, it's hard to, everybody sees the same strategies and sees the same things happening. Right. So you don't want the last guy of a tier necessarily. It'll get run up and the middle guys, maybe you don't throw those out right away either. You know, everybody's got the same thoughts. So it's just, uh, but the great thing is that there's a different dynamic in every single one, right. Different owners and different flow and, players come out in different orders and uh, you got different personalities in the room. It's all fantastic. Yeah. It's definitely expect the unexpected, you know, if if you think you can script up what might happen in, uh, you know, a consistent amount of drafts in the auctions, it's not, it's not, you're not going to do well if you try to prognosticate that, you know, you got got guys on laptops, you got guys throwing papers around, you got people yelling bids, you got different auctioneers. it's all different types of uh, factors involved. I could, um, you know, just this being in the, I've seen the, um, the live auctions in New York and I was a part of one that I did for Phil. I drafted for Phil when he was in Canada right, right. and I was on the, I, I was, I was zooming with him. Um, but like, I was so, I was also very focused on paying attention to Phil, you know, that, right, right. but what I love to do in the draft in my home league draft too, is, people have tells, you know, like their, yeah. their poker, their quote unquote poker faces. And <laughs> right. I think it's so right. great because I walked into the NFBC room and I was just observing it. I think what's really cool about just checking out the drafts, like just sat there and just observed what everyone was doing. Like you said, Sean was ripping through the pages and everyone, some <laughs> yeah. other guys have like a diorama where they're like pasting things. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. But then some people, you could tell like when they really like a player, you know, they'll twitch, oh, yeah. you know, the yeah. shoulder starts going nuts <laughs> and their hands, like they have this hand thing and like, Oh my God, like you got to know yeah. you're doing that. 
<laughs> you, know, you, you got an, like an eyelid or a collarbone twitch going. It's like, okay, okay. You know, because then you know they're bidding to like win the bid. <laughs> that's right. my that's my opinion. It's just funny to just I say like, just look up and look around, you know. I think while you're drafting, you're definitely trying to concentrate on the player pool, but just ex examine the environment because I think you might catch some things, you know, make some, you yeah. might see people make some faces that you'll pick up on. Uh, I don't know. Just um, my, my, my favorite auction memories are always the Chicago auctions. And unfortunately they don't do the Chicago drafts anymore, but uh, it was kind of the same group of owners every year. And it was a motley cast of characters at this thing. And it was just a blast. It was so fun. And some of these auctions, we had a, a auctioneer or two that were super slow as well. And these things could go for five or six hours, but it wow. was the funnest time. And, and, and you get the same group of generally like 10 of the 15 were the same owners every year. And, uh, and, and a lot of them had big uh, personalities and just the, it was such a fun, uh, I'll always remember the Chicago auctions. Uh, rest in peace to the Chicago auctions. I hope New York still gets <laughs> enough that they don't get rid of that one too, John. You know, I know it's yeah. like, yeah. Where's everybody? Come on, get out there. The world <laughs> is open. The world is your oyster. Go, go. You're not gonna live forever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so talk stars and scrubs. Tell, talk to me about do you have a like are you hard on a dollar amount or do you have maybe like a range like i'll take this guy from you know 20 to 25 how do you is there a specific way you like to break that down yeah i used to be a little more rigid on that where i'd have uh slots and positions and but then you you can get in trouble being a little bit too rigid on on your slots and and targets and uh price ranges so uh, it, last couple of years, it's just been a little bit more free flow. And I, I obviously I've got the players I'm targeting, um, but you kind of just know if it's a, if it's a good, I guess I've just developed the ability to pivot. You know, if you get a high price guy in this area, then, you know, your corner infield is going to be, you know, you're going to have to end up with a $2 guy at your corner infield and, and, it's more in my head. I don't. Ha I don't have it really uh, written down on a spreadsheet or paper in terms of a dollar per slot. But uh, experience and uh, I can adjust as we go on that. So that's nice. That's solid. Do you, Do you have a specific attack for the end game? Are you? Because uh, I know I heard like uh, Sean was mentioning on the he really focuses on those like one two dollar guys that he wants to grab at the end but then you know there's always that point too like there might be a guy who's saving four or five for that one dollar guy you have right. obviously you should have some backups too but do you kind of plan for the end game a little bit yeah no that's one area i want to improve on is is figure that end game out a little bit more it's one of the takeaways i i took from your interview with sean is that hey, i need to step up the uh what my targets are at the end uh and um, so, yep, hopefully this year better on that and, uh, and hopefully can nab a, nab a couple of those. It's always good to have a, a $2 or it'd be nice to, to, instead of five $1 guys to have a, a couple extra dollars, but sometimes it just doesn't work that out that way, but it's fun to be able to have the hammer with the two. I, I know I'm, I'm not, I'm often not the guy with the two. <laughs> <laughs> me either Rob. <laughs> i have to get so much better at that too it takes yeah. so much command to you know 
And it usually never the higher price guys that fuck me on that part. It's usually that last maybe, oh man, I didn't have to go four on this guy because there's a likewise guy at a, at a dollar. And I could have kept my $2 hammer, but it's like that that yeah. last guy that you go four or six on and you're like, shit, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> especially because the next two or three guys are similar players and they're going right. for one or two. And you know, I, I just screwed myself there. So those are the usually like, it's never usually the ones I'm regretting. Like I shouldn't have gone 37 right. on this pitcher. You know, it's usually that that last guy that I realize. And in the end, it's usually at the end of the season when you're like, well, that guy wasn't worth four dollars for right. sure. <laughs> and then it's a whole game when you're down to the ones, right? You got four spots, four dollars. When do you throw out the guy you really want, right? Like, oh, it's too early, too early. And then it goes halfway around the room and that guy goes for a dollar and you could have had it for a dollar. And now you think it's safe. You throw your guy out for a dollar and of course gecko goes two or whatever so uh it's it's fascinating it's also fun. right right because if you go too early you're worried about the guy who is saving his money right that is going to use that to get that guy you want a dollar but like you said if you wait too long he can either go or just go to a guy who again who's just call it out i'm usually prone to try to squeeze it in earlier and it's that usually never works either, especially not even in the end game. I think there's always a point in the kind of the middle where maybe everyone's hovering around, well, not the middle, but more toward the end when everyone's hovering around the $40, $50, $60 range. And maybe the max bids are kind of hovering at like eight, nine, but there's always that one guy that you're holding out for and you throw him out. And again, it's probably too early, but I'm like, I need to know if I'm going to get him at this price because it'll lay out right. the rest of my team. Right. And then you throw him out and you're like hoping for six or seven and it's 22 and you're like, what the fuck did I just do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you just called it out way too early. But that's the beauty right. of the auction. Like you said, you can never really, you know, uh, know what's going to happen, you know? Um, nah, it's so fun. Yeah. Can't yeah. wait. Let's talk quickly about some ADP stuff right now for the online sure. championships. Um, Olin, Nolan Arenado, ADP 32, in or out at this price? Uh, out. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, not so much uh, indictment on Arenado. I just like uh, I'm probably taking a starting pitcher or a closer there. So out. Yeah, that's pretty early, I think. 32 is kind of yeah. aggressive for that profile, for sure. Um, Fernando Tatis, how are you going to play him this year, John? No, I'm not going to play him. <laughs> Out. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong with that, right? So maybe in a 12, if he fell far enough, I'm not going to take him in a 15. Uh, so I'm, I'm probably out on him. We'll let, I hope he has a great year. He's an exciting player. I uh, hope he does fabulous for whoever owns him. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's one of those things. It's it's it could work out real well if you get it, but it can also have a a bad side of it not working out. But it's also too. It's that I the I can I don't have to win with him. You know, like if there's other ways, there's other paths to, and whatever. If you miss out, you miss out because obviously that yeah. possibility is there. But I'm not. It's it's pretty yeah. early ADP. Definitely got some red flags next to his name. Yes, 100%. All right, we're going to do a little combo here. Would you rather have sure. Jazz, Jazz Chisholm? And I, I tried to stick around same same ADP, common position. So Jazz Chisholm sure. and Stalling Marte or Marcus Simeon and George Springer combo? 
Uh, I'll take the Simeon Springer combo on that. Not, and I do like jazz, so that tells you the one I don't like. <laughs> but yeah, Simeon Springer. Babs loves jazz this uh, pretty much every year, but uh, yeah, I, I noticed that this year too. He's uh, skills wise, he's 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 up there for sure. Um, oh yeah, he's an exciting player, right? Broken back shouldn't scare anybody, should it? Now or or the meniscus knee or the new position, <laughs> it's interesting. I, like the whole the whole team is very interesting. You know, they have this, this whole contact speed profile thing going. Are they just going to small right. ball right. everyone to death? <laughs> I don't know. Those are, yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow. I do like jazz. But uh, Semyon, obviously, just an accumulator of stats. And Springer, maybe some hope for better health this year. And if he's not playing center field, maybe that helps, right? So, anyway, I'm optimistic on both those guys again. Yeah, because Springer's just got a great profile. When he's in there on a per-game level, he's, he's really solid. But you just, you know, you have to replace him. But, yeah, but Simeon, I think, yeah, he he just turned it on in the second half. He just He's a solid right. block for plate appearances and speed and power. And Marte is interesting, you know, because I think we're used to him going in that 40 and 50. Always been like yeah. a, a staple part of any – sort of build any kind of build that you want to build you know go with um yeah. but he could be sneaky because he could be the guy at the end of the year that we all say well why did he go this far you know after right. a 2020 season um mm -hmm. all right one more combo here would you rather sure. have ozzy albies and taylor ward or kyle schwarber and glaber torres huh. i'll take albies ward on that one i think uh yeah those are I think it's close. I'll take Albies Ward. Uh, I'm not super crazy on Albies where he's going. Ward, I, I think, is going in a good spot. Schwarber fits, depends on your roster construction. He could fit if you start. Oh, uh, yeah, if you start a speed guy in the first and a couple pitchers and then four or five turn, Schwarber would fit nice on, on a 15. Um, P plus. Uh, that could work. Yeah, definitely can. I Ozzy Albies is 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 a is a tough one to peg for me this year, but he's he's yeah, yeah right now forty he's going forty ninth in the in the OCs. That's that's I think a it's tough. That's yeah, a, little a little early too. for me. Yeah, yeah, a little early. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, speaking of Kyle Schwarber, do you think he's a top fifty player? Yeah, I think that's about right. Fifty about right, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that four or five turn, I think, is a good spot. Um, well, that would be actually 60. So, uh, yeah, end of, end of that fourth round, I think that's good. Yeah. Depending on how you started, right? So, right. I, I think there's lots of builds that could make He's He seems like a good bet for 40 home runs. Like, for Turner, Turner Schwarber with a couple pitchers in the middle would be decent, I think. Good start. Huh. I'm taking notes. I like that. I like that little start. <laughs> Turn it over. Um, how do you feel about the young kids on the block this year? Your Corbin Carrolls and Gunnar Henderson. Do you think they're appropriate valued, overpriced right now? Well, I not. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to prospects, I kind of rely on uh, James Anderson. I think mm -hmm. he's been a guest of, or you've been a guest on his. He's been a guest on you. I, you guys are a good combo together on that, and. Uh, uh, James says Carol's the guy, so got to go with James. 
<laughs> I can't 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 disobey James. Um, yeah, he's got an interesting profile for sure. He's, um, I think I only have one of him in DC so far. Uh, usually, a guy in the room who's really high on him kind of fell a little, some spots, uh, maybe five or six spots past ADP, and it was perfect. I needed an outfielder, needed some speed, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with the power output, I mean, if you could just. I think if you just keep your expectation expectations in check, um, you know, if he does go fifteen thirty, that is a Cedric Mullins that that you're getting, you know, thirty picks later, you know, um, Cedric Mulligan. Oh. Sorry, I didn't. Um... Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I think in I'll probably more more likely to take Carroll in a twelve teamer than a fifteen, just uh, just for the reasons we talked about earlier, and uh, I, I think the these kids quote unquote kids that are coming up they're so skilled and uh um but major league pitching is a different thing right so we've seen quite a few guys not do it and uh i'm not a scouting expert and i don't know which uh, characteristics uh, translate always but uh i think carol's got a good shot of being an impact player for sure right off the bat yeah i would agree i think i think he can be a guy that really vaults off the uh right off the bat, you know, with his bat, his power, speed. And um he's exciting to watch too. If he's a guy that that you have on your team, right. you, he's easy to root for as well, you know. Um and you know, that that's the draw a lot of people have with Tatis because he's just he's fun to watch. He's you know he's he's just a good baseball player, but you're kind of drawn to these guys that you know you definitely want to keep your head in the uh your your player evaluation zone but it it doesn't hurt when a guy is fun to watch, you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. sometimes you just need him in the right system too, in the right manager, in the right team setting. Uh, you know, the same player in a different setting wouldn't get the opportunity or wouldn't you know, wouldn't flourish like uh, he could in a in another setting. So so many variables. Yeah, absolutely. Um before we get out of here, I want to talk about our draft that we did in the middle of um oh. we'll start off the year uh but i noticed that you took like um kind of like a, a similar route that i like to take in these dcs just had like a whole bunch of like you know speculative like high i guess um good arms in the pen type of at the end is that something that you just built a strategy around like who you took at the top or is that kind of just a kind of profile that you like to fill the back end of your you know possible pitching staff with yeah, I think in DCs, uh, I'm not a great DC player by any means. And uh, I think I found in the past, uh, I look back and those picks from 40 to 50, none of them play or they they seldom have an impact, uh, at least the ones that I pick. So uh, I kind of changed my strategy a little bit. And in those last 10 picks, I'm, I'm pretty much pitching and uh, I'm, I'm getting some bullpen arms that at least I can pitch, right? Uh, I, I can't believe you think 50 players and wow, that's a lot of players. How, how can you, but man, sometimes by the second month of the year, you're already down to like only two other options to, to put in your pitching lineup. Right. So I, I kind of want at least to have some arms that I know are good middle relief arms that you can at least throw in your lineup and maybe, uh, maybe they'll get a win. Like, uh, they'll vulture some wins or maybe they're a setup guy that could end up getting some closer, closer duty. So that, that's kind of my strategy. Just not, I'm not too good at finding position players that will get 
playing time uh, at the end of the, these drafts. So, yeah, playing playing towards your strength too. You know, like I said, right. you can't pick out that future PT on the bat. And um, just looking at the DC overall winner last year too, he had he picked. Oh man. Munoz, you know. Ryan Helsley, Joan Duran, right. Jorge Lopez. And and that's on top of getting barred late in the draft, too. And then he also had Vinny Pascantino and Jake McCarthy. I was looking at that last 10. I was like, did he have inside knowledge? Exactly. <laughs> he had the cheat code, man. Fucking wow. nailed it. Like, right? Couldn't believe it. Uh, fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and that just, you know, I think it's. There's a point too where starting pitcher and like you're really not gonna get last year there was a couple of guys that I think maybe a handful, like the Jordan Lyles types that were just around that you can possibly start. This year there's not really much no. at all. There's no Jordan Lyles <laughs> at all. They've kind of moved up actually to Jordan Lyles kind of pitcher. And so it is that spot in the draft to speculate on some high octane, you know, um arms and just just kind of mirroring that speculative profile last year as the overall guy had that won. You could see that that it right. doesn't hurt to back yourself up with some guys who might be next in line. Yeah. So in general, trying to get the starting pitching a little bit earlier, getting that depth and then getting full-time at bats at the outfield spot is more of a challenge this year. At least it seems that way to me um, so far. That's what I like. I have to think about outfield a little bit more. For sure. For sure. I got really excited in my last draft. I had the opportunity to build this awesome staff and I did, but then it was the 10th round and I didn't have an outfielder. And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is going to be fun, you know, but right. not too bad. I mean, starting around 10, I got, got Hunter Renfro. And then I, I added, um, Nimmo Riley green, um, after that. So in, in the one ninety area, so not horrible, not horrible. I got yeah. two, two lead off yeah. hitters at, at at 190 i'll take that um it, again and too but but as i did more more dcs i realized that there are outfielders there it's just um i guess there's there there is less certainty with the playing time perhaps but um yeah. there are options for sure to fill it in yeah. uh, especially if you want to deal with like jock Jock Peterson's headache every week. You could mm -hmm. you could draft him every single time. <laughs> He's perfect for right. the gladiator leagues that the NFBC had because you don't have to guess it. You, you just get his twenty five homers at any time of the uh, year, you know. But um, I this was that. awesome, John. I missed miss that whole contest. <laughs> it came and went pretty fast. Came and went fast, man. Yeah, I mean, they should have ran it now too. To be uh, it was uh, fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Because it's like it's great to have people drafting, and yeah, that's what it was. And you know what's funny? It's like you kind of do maybe a fast. I kind of like to do a fast draft champions before Fab yeah. season to get the quick clock thing going. Um, right. but you got the had the quick clock early in the season. You know, we did a lot of the fast drafts and. Oh man, it was uh nightly fast drafts, and you get in there, you're making the decision points. In November and December, right. like wow, this is <laughs> normally you're waiting until February, March to try to get that, you know, in. But and so now I'm just like dying to do another fast draft because there were it, it was great. These four hour clocks on some of these leagues are, are, are terrorizing, <laughs> no doubt, you know. 
But uh, good stuff, John. It's always great to have you on. You always come with some awesome knowledge and always want to thank you for taking out the time and, you know, letting us inside the uh, Hall of Fame curtain a little bit, my man. Rob, it's always good to talk to you. Let's do it again sometime. Uh, it's been great. Appreciate appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, John. And uh, I'll see you soon, man. All right. Take care. Thank you, folks, for tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. You know where to come to to find the best fantasy baseball players around, giving actionable advice and great resources for you to use going forward in helping your prep. Always add a little bit of what you hear that you think might be able to help you. You're not trying to listening to everyone's advice and just totally change your strategy drastically or your player evaluations. These are just little tools to use if you hear something that makes sense or you never heard before or you want to take it a little bit further. Guys like John Posma, these are the, this is where you want to take it from. Just excellent fantasy baseball players who are sharing their advice with you. So hope you guys are enjoying all the content. Remember that the Launch Angle podcast is back. I'm hosting that along with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman. You can catch that on, on any feed that you currently have. A launch angle. If you're having problems with that, just contact me on Twitter and I'll definitely try to figure that out. But it should be hitting all platforms right now that was previously on. And we're going to keep going with the Pull Hitter podcast as well, you know, all the time. You're going to keep setting you guys up for success for the fantasy baseball season. And just keep an eye out. Big things are coming. Patreon's coming. We're going to help you guys in season a whole bunch. Just really consistently moving the needle and in, in trying to become better in-season players as well as for draft prep. So thank you for everyone for always supporting the show and leaving great ratings and reviews. And on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter, at Pull Hitter Pod, at Launch Angle Pod. Let's go. Let's get hot. Smarten the fuck up and don't be a bag of shit.